Melanie, I'm so honored to be sitting and sharing the stage with you. I, I couldn't wait for today to have our conversation yes. joined with all these lovely women. There's so much to cover. To be at this experience, to be celebrating the power, the voice, the ideas of women, there's also some really grappling and gripping conversations that we have to have, particularly around diversity, this idea of equity, as well as inclusion. And your work, even beyond your title, has been extremely massive. But we also have to look at what the last few years has entailed and what commitments have been made from corporate entities. And so I want to dive in today with you this morning about where we sort of were and where we're going. But maybe let's start with this commitment, particularly that Google made um, right out of the gate, particularly when we think about 2020, um, the murder of George Floyd, and the sort of subsequent reckonings that our country, that the world has had, and what that's meant for your team, for your organization at large, and how we're starting to think a little bit differently about the shifts that are now happening. So it's a great question. And even before we get to like the horrific murder of George Floyd, you know, I think we need to step back a little bit further and think about COVID and the comorbidities that were exacerbated, you know, when we thought about who was killed by COVID. And I think that brought a spotlight that exacerbated when we started to look at um, police brutality. And, you know, before George Floyd, there was Breonna Taylor, yeah. Ahmaud Arbery. And this wasn't like an episodic event. It really led to a global racial equity movement. And I think global here is important. So my, um, I have four generations in my household. My mom's 85, the wow. youngest in my household. I'm a new Gigi to a granddaughter, Noel. And my mom said, who marched in the 1960s with Dr. Martin Luther King, both of my parents did. She said, I can't believe that people outside of the United States care about police brutality towards Black Americans. I mean, she was stunned by this. And so I think that backdrop is important. So what we did at, at Google, like quickly recognizing, hey, this isn't a series of episodic yeah. events. This is a movement. And we need to immediately deepen the work yeah. that we're doing. So we went on a 100-day sprint as a company, like not just my team, which is a very representative team. I have a rock star team that enables everything that I do, but this was a company. So we did a call to action across, globally across Google. And our goal was to really um, ensure that we were building sustainable equity internally and externally. And so we had teams that looked at all of our products and how do we use our products for social good, which is embedded in the mission of Google to ensure that our products are helpful and accessible. And then internally looking at, we used our black um, leadership, our black executives and our black Googler network, which is our ERG employee resource group, mm -hmm. to look at what do we need to do internally to build equity and not just across the black community, but across underrepresented minority. So we look at black, 
Latinx, Hispanic population, as well as indigenous community. Out of that, we had eight commitments, four external, four internal. We've invested over $500 million in the racial equity commitments, and they're, they complete in 2025. So we've learned a lot yeah. Yeah. along the way, and we do this work as a collective with civil rights organizations, human rights organizations, you know, other organizations, because you can't, you can't do this work in isolation. This work, we have to go together. What's been really, first of all, that's really fascinating. Um, and thank you for really spilling that out for us. What's really interesting is there is almost this new identity around what discrimination, what marginalization, um, and even racism, if we can just call it by the, the term that it is, um, has inflicted on various groups. And it is sometimes a challenge to think that it took a series of very catastrophic events, including um, a, a tremendous public health crisis, to get to a place where our ears were open, right? And even when I think about the nature of the partnerships that you all have had, particularly when it comes to HBCUs, which you are a, an a alum. proud Hampton University Any, any Hampton, any HBCUs? <laughs> I heard there's some HBCU students. I love all HBCUs, but particular to our so, pirate so I'm not part of the club because I did not attend HBCU, but I, I hope one day to be an honorary member of Spelman. I should have been a Spelman woman. All right, I see. Okay. I'm sure okay. Dr. Gale is beaming right now. All I need love is love to have I, you. I just Spelman. need a sweatshirt. So meet me after. <laughs> meet me after. <laughs> but there's some unique partnerships that are expanding beyond just social justice initiatives and even stepping into an area of education. Yes. And very unique partnerships, particularly around the future of work, which when we think about inequalities, when we talk about the racial wealth gap, when we talk about who gets to build the future, who gets to imagine a future, a lot of times when we think about the folks who are left out, that is women, that is other marginalized folks of color who don't necessarily get access in the same way that some of our counterparts do. And there's a particular emphasis on unique partnerships um, in order to create, upskill, reskill, um, or even teach particular skill sets that are gonna be found in the future. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yes, and so um, it's, it's an incredible observation and an insight. You know, our, let's start with our historically black colleges and universities, which are national treasures. And we have to surround our HBCUs and ensure that we continue the pipeline. And part of that, yes, is investing in the pipeline for development to make sure that we're hiring. But there's a bigger part to this picture. And so at Google, I lead an HBCU President's Council. And one of the things we're doing, in addition to creating opportunities for internships and hiring, is we are helping to amplify research opportunities. And so I'm not sure if, if you know this, Sherelle, but out of the HBCU landscape, there are no HBCUs currently that are at R1 research standing. And that means that we have a stewardship responsibility right. to ensure that we're providing research opportunities, but research opportunities also, not they don't just provide development, they also provide diverse voices, diverse ideas, diverse thoughts, 
into cutting-edge research. We just launched um, an Applied Research Institute a couple of weeks ago in partnership with UNCF and TMCF, um, focused on HBCUs with mathematical and computational research to provide these hands-on opportunities. And with Spelman College, through Google.org, we provided a $5 million grant for a women of color STEAM database. This is, no one else is doing this. And so Google developers, other HBCUs are partnering hand in hand with Spelman to create this database. And this is the type of opportunity that we have to continue to provide. And just, you know, one other example, at Howard University, we have a partnership that we just announced it's called Project Elevate Black Voices. So how many of you are familiar with uh, automatic speech technology? And I don't know about you, sometimes I use it and it doesn't recognize my voice. Right. And so Google's research, as well as external research, you know, has determined and validated that it doesn't universally recognize all voices. So Howard University will hold, holds the licensing rights, but they are doing that research to improve the technology. These are the types of opportunities and unique partnerships that we have to have to not only build the pipeline, but to ensure that we have diversity in the design, in the products, and in the services. That's um, super incredible, particularly for students who are currently at these institutions um, and are going to get access and opportunity, I think also to Google executives and employees as well, exactly. who provide mentorship and leadership as well amongst these particular programs. And you talked about the partnerships with the United Negro College Fund, the Thurgood Marshall Foundation, and oddly enough, in 2020, and I always want to go back to that date because there were some really interesting realities. Um, people for the first time were learning about all of these organizations that were supporting and have been doing work for decades. Yes. Um, so for a lot of folks, it was kind of a firsthand discovery. So when I think about this area of DEI and sort of 2020 to 2021, we saw sort of the largest growth of chief diversity officers being named for the first time in corporate spaces. We saw this kind of deluge of focus on things like a 15% pledge. Um, across retail, um, or representation on stages, or even within um, authorship and books. And then we hit 2022, and we saw this sort of decline economically, of course, housing to inflation to all of these things that started to take precedence, which also meant the pullback of all of those big promises, those hyper-focuses, and the shift was very pal palpable for, for so many of us. Um, and we kind of knew that it was going to come. We knew that the focus and the language and almost the hysteria around how do we elevate marginalized voices might take a turn. So we sort of had to think about, okay, if we're going to have this spotlight for like 12 to 18 months, like how do we like rush out and get it done? What's fascinating is you talk about these pillars, these eight pillars, and these goals that are going to be accomplished by 2025, which is absolutely fascinating. And so I want to get an understanding of why has this work stayed the course? And 
where are we going? Because I hear of these amazing initiatives and opportunities. I hear of the dedication. You're one of the few remaining chief diversity officers, unfortunately, um, that's really heading a major company. Um, but I think that many of us might be concerned about, is this a, is this a fad? Are we going to have to change language now? We're only talking about ESG now. We're only talking about terms in a certain kind of way because now all of the language we learned in the last two years is somehow deemed offensive. So I'm, maybe you can paint a, a picture of hope <laughs> in some cases. I was just thinking that. So let me, let me interject with some hope. Yeah, yeah. So what we're seeing today, I don't lose heart. I do have hope. I mean, my parents, I told you, marched in the 1960s with Dr. Martin Luther King. And so we've seen this in history before. One of the things that we've normalized that we're not going to go back from, we talk openly about race in the workplace. I mean, if you think about um, particularly black and brown communities, are either hyper-visible or invisible. And in between that, it's a whole lot of stress. And so what we're talking about is how do we normalize black and brown communities in the context? And that's what we've done following the murder of George Floyd. I think that's also why we've seen some of the pushback. But we're not going to go back to where we are. Um, I have a lot of hope with uh, Gen X, the way that, you know, they have forced a demand yeah for how we interact, what they want, how they show up. And we're really leaning into that. And so I want to make sure that we don't operate mm. out of fear and that we don't retract, that we stand strong. And Google is standing strong and unapologetic about the commitment we make. And, and we're able to do that. And I'm able to sit in my role because we have an incredible CEO with Sundar Pashai, who really gets it, understands it, and it's a company imperative. So we have racial equity goals, but we also have company-wide okay. goals as well. And our CEO meets with our HBCU President's Council um, as well and spends and pours time there. And so these are the types of things that we have to hold on to, but they're also the things that we have to push for and to continue to demand fairness and respect and dignity, which go hand in hand with equity and diversity and inclusion. And there's a lot of talk now about belonging. And I, I think we should like hit this head on. Yeah. I believe that diversity, equity, and inclusion is insufficient without belonging, like insufficient without recognizing that everybody to like the science of belonging says that people have to feel rewarded, seen, recognized, and valued in order to feel like they belong. And so I think we see this added on. And so these are the types of competencies and capabilities that are here to stay, um, even though we get pushback. But pushback means there's progress happening, and the research shows that there's progress happening. Yeah. A little discomfort is good for all of us, right? A little discomfort is good for the soul. Anybody been uncomfortable? Yeah, all right. Yeah, Ma major growth spurts happening around here. I, I, lo I love how you talk about, or you brought in that, that concept of belonging. Yes. Um, and also highlighted the different requirements of generations. Um, I think, you know, I'm considered a geriatric millennial. Is anyone else here a geriatric millennial? Yes, shout out, yes. 
I'm Gen X, so we're my Gen X people. <laughs> yes. Kids of the 90s, yes. I mean, y'all, because we remember before there was internet, right? And, yeah. okay, all right, just, just making sure I have family in the room here. But I love that our generation started to ask for more. Yes. More balance, yes. more recognition, more sustainability, more consciousness around how we show up in the world and society as well as on the planet. And I think you referenced as well Gen Z. Gen Z asking for, like, Gen Z is bold. Gen, Gen Z, Z, shout out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Maybe y'all will help me put some stuff on TikTok later today. So just catch me backstage, okay? Um, but there's, but that belonging component. Yes is almost a, it's, it's a force multiple with Gen Z. It is, I'm going to show up and it's be all who I am. It's a requirement. It's not an entitlement. Yeah. When I grew up, you know, my parents raised me to, we're, I'm first generation, my brother and I, first generation college, I'm first generation corporate America, and we were taught to be better, faster, smarter, but to compete at average. That never sat right with me. But... I was taught to fit in, not add in. Gen Z is saying, here's where I add in. And this is what we have to do as corporations and organizations. It's not about who fits into the culture. It's what's missing in the culture and who adds in the culture. That's an amazing point. And I love that you talked about the belonging because it's less of the quota of diversity, right? It's more than just I'm a data point that potentially represents something. Much broader than that. It's, it's so much broad. broader than yeah. that. I mean, if in talking about culture ad, we've trained over 10,000 managers at Google on how to interview for additive skills, not just fitting in, because that's a mindset shift and change management that we have to do on our side, from a corporate America side, to ensure that we're taking full advantage of this incredible talent that's yeah. in the world. And so just as a closing, um, what is your advice to other leaders that are struggling to figure out how do we create this new culture? How do we still prioritize what diversity looks like, what belonging looks like, um, and continue to even just measure the progress as we go along? My advice is to recognize what we're talking about are universal solutions that are common to to humanity, but we have to recognize that there are communities within the universe that are situated differently and require different treatment to take full advantage. This is a basic right and a basic privilege. And if we could all as leaders stand and take stock of that and lift as we climb and ensure we're bringing everybody along, we will reach the culture that we aspire to. That's incredible. Yes, thank you. Well, we see why you are such an amazing boss. Thank you. We get to witness it live. (laughs) This is incredible. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us here on the stage today at TED Women. Thank you for everyone here as well. And thank you to the HBCU students who are also in the room representing. (laughs) Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.